Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrowed. I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Dom Pagnotti? No, nice. Yes, I like Gold, that. forget about it. Silver, forget about it. Oh, I love that guy. Dude, God. Oh, I okay, I feel I feel I I'm, I'm I'm excited to be here with that one. That's one of my favorite. I mean, there's so many good side characters in this movie, but that's I know, that's got to be that's got to be one of the tops. It was either that or uh, Big Time Willie. Big Time, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I, I wanted to do my Dom Pagnotti impression. And I think I'm a little bit more in alignment with him. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. Yeah, not some Coney Island hood. Um, oh, God. He Got Game is today. You know, this is, uh, this is one of the movies that's been brought up the most just on individual episodes. I didn't even write them all down, but I've mentioned it on... Most memorable movie-going experiences, which was episode five. I mentioned a movies that make me cry, episode 69. Of course, we talked about it on Malcolm X because we're talking about Denzel. Of course, we talked about it, but barely in our top 10 movies of 1998, yep. which is a recent episode. So after that, after that 1998 podcast, when I set the movie up and meant to talk about it and then just got so distracted by our shared love for Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line completely skirted over Spike Lee's He Got Game, and I went, It's the time is now. We're doing a full <laughs> episode on it. So we both just watched it, so we're doing it. And, you know, of course, since then, I've watched it like three or four more times. And uh, this is He Got Game is one of my favorite movies ever made. It is my favorite Spike Lee movie. I'm not saying it's his best. I'm just saying it's the one that I get the most out of, the one I've seen the most. It holds so much personal significance for me. I have a hilarious story about the first time I saw it. I also have very moving stories about times that I watched it on video. I have forgotten to do this on some of our deep dive episodes. It should be. I've tried to make this as obvious as possible. When we dedicate an episode to one movie, we talk about the entire movie. Yeah. So we are going to spoil everything. We may spoil the end uh, one minute from now because we're talking, or we may spoil the end two hours from now, but it's free reign. And I mention that because like th this movie is much more about relationships to me and like emotion than it is about plot and like spoiling. But yeah, I would still love if everyone saw this before listening to this, but of course it's so hard to find. It's never available anywhere. You have to rent it or buy it. Dude, yeah. I, I mean, it's impossible to find. It's like, it, it's, it's crazy. And the only way that I get to watch it, the the two times that I've watched it now are because you have sent me your personal <laughs> yeah. old school, yeah. like 1998 <laughs> DVD of this. This, I mean, some Spike Lee movies are so easy to find. This is one that just boop fell by the wayside a little bit. That's another reason why, you know, I want to be strategic somewhat in some of our deep dives because they are kind of forgotten movies to me. I mean, a lot of people love this movie. Don't get me wrong, but this is not talked about as much as, I don't know, Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X. Probably not even talked about as much as Black Klansman, which is always available to stream somewhere. But Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, the first time that I watched this was because, you know, this is always really funny, is there's certain movies that every time that you talk about them, at least to me, it's not necessarily on the pod, but there's there's movies that when you and I are talking that you take a deep breath before you even utter its name. <laughs> Jesus. And so, <laughs> I love it. so this was always one of them where you're like, have you ever seen a, he got game? <laughs> and, and be like, no. And you'd be like, heard and, of Vietnam, son. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And, and yeah, I would say, no, you're like, 
All right. All right. All right. And I can see in your head, you're like, if we're going to continue our friendship, then um, I'm going to need you to uh, to see this one. And then throughout the entire time, like one day you just like mailed me a bunch of like DVDs that you weren't going to have anymore. And you're like, now I want you to notice very specifically at the very top of like this pile of DVDs is one specific one called He Got Game. (laughs) Going to need you to watch that. Got it. Yeah. And I think that was for like the Malcolm X pod. I wanted you to see it. Yeah. Noting all that, I was so happy when you finally checked it out and so happy that like you got it. You got all the things that I wanted you to get from it because it's not just this, you know, you can call it a sports movie, but it doesn't it's not like a basketball movie. You can call it a father son movie, but Spike Lee likes to call it a parent child movie. He goes, yeah. You know, I watched I watched his interview on Charlie Rose, which was right after this movie. It was when the movie was in theaters. And he's like, this movie could be about a ballerina and an overbearing mother. And immediately when he said that, I thought of Black Swan. And I was like, I just rewatched Black Swan. And I went, yeah, there's like there. It's that type of thing where it's it's not just about a man and his son. It's not about the fact that they're black. It to me, this movie supersedes all of that. And it's just a human story. That's what I love most about it. That's exactly what I was going to say almost almost verbatim was that it, it's I love that parent child. Yeah, that, I think that actually is it. Like I looked at it as a father son thing, but it's not it is it's a parent child story. But the universal elements of this movie are are what it is. You know, Spike Lee is I fucking love this guy. Oh, God, I love Spike Lee. And I've just been slowly, got, you know, more and more, you know, through this pod, watching more and more of his stuff. And I'm enamored with him. I think he is just every movie I see is blowing me away more and more. And this was what got the ball rolling. Yeah. Because I was always familiar with 25th Hour. Then, you know, you had the Black Klansman. I had never seen any of his other stuff. I seen Inside Man. Yeah, it, 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 that's not this, though. That's not that's no, not. that's like his that's his popcorn movie. Yeah. That's his popcorn yep. dog day afternoon. Yep. One of his favorite movies. He was never that's not like a prestige movie. And that's an entertaining as all hell. Yes, movie. It is. Don't get me wrong. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I am very much a fan of this movie for all of that reasons. And because it means so much to you on so many personal levels. But just as a film, this thing is it's fucking great. It's just great. God, I love hearing that so much. And this movie, it's just, it, this does not follow the conventions of like a sports movie where you're going, going along and there's going to be one big final game, but it does have a final game, yeah. but it's not the way that you think about it. I hear what you're saying when like you didn't know if the movie was going to be for you. I think there are a lot of people like that, but I also would venture a guess that even if those things, sports movies aren't for you, you're really going to get something out of this. Like if you have a child or you're going to be like, oh oh my God, like what? Because this is all about, you know, you did not succeed in your life. The guy, the man, the father, you didn't make it. You twisted your knee. You did all this stuff. This, This coach screwed you. So you didn't get your big break. You didn't get your shot. Now you have a son, so come hell or high water, my son is getting that shot. I'm doing whatever I can. And, you know, I almost made it to the pros, but now my son's going to make it. Or whatever, like, I'm putting my ambitions onto my child and being so strict and so demanding that they will become excellent. We've seen a lot of movies about that. So if you like that theme, that's what He Got Game is. And it's just a masterclass in filmmaking. Mm-hmm, let's just mm-hmm. let's just say that like as just a as a well-made movie like what this does and what it accomplishes is astounding. Ugh. First before we get into the movie, I'm going to set up Spike and Denzel a little bit. 
Denzel starts appearing in movies in 1981. Spike starts directing films in 1986. Denzel wins an Oscar for Glory in 1989. He and Spike team up directly after that for their first movie, Mo Betta Blues, which is a great jazz movie from 1990. One of the best movies ever made about a tortured artist. It's just pure Spike Lee. And two years later, we've talked about it very prominently on this podcast, episode 96 was on Spike Lee's Malcolm X. And, you know, that's just one of the all-timers. And then they part for six years and they return with He Got Game. He Got Game was Spike Lee's first original screenplay since Jungle Fever in 1991. He had done stuff based on other material. So he's coming back and, you know, you, because I think of the pod and some episodes we've done, you have had sort of a Spike Lee discovery, discovering She's Gotta Have It, He Got Game, these are movies that we've brought up a lot. We have talked about like Spike Lee a lot without doing a proper breakdown. Like we've dedicated a lot of airtime to his movies and he got game comes along. Oh man. And this lives in the world of, I just did the deep breathing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> See, telling you, it. man, telling you. <laughs> I didn't even know I did it. It's, you know, you can have a great 1994 double feature with William Friedkin's Blue Chips, which is about Nick Nolte's a college basketball coach and some of the players, some of the emerging talent that they're trying to recruit. You know, they want like cars, they want cash, they want their mom to have a house, they want these things. And also in 1994, there's one widely considered one of the best documentaries ever made. It was Roger Ebert's favorite movie of the 1990s decade. That is Steve James's documentary hoop dreams which is a miraculous documentary that takes place over like four and a half five years in which they followed two chicago kids who were basketball prospects throughout their entire high school life and you know will they make it will they not spike lee actually shows up in that movie they go to like a basketball camp and he gives a speech and he basically says in the speech like these corporations these colleges these teams they don't give a fuck about you they don't care about you at all. You are nothing to them. You're a number to sell jerseys, to sell water bottles, to sell this. They don't They don't care about you. And he got game is born in that, that venom, that passion he's giving. He's been, Spike Lee's a huge, as Ned Beatty says, fanatical basketball fan, sitting courtside at Knicks games. We know this about Spike Lee, but he is pissed that NCAA for decades, was just making millions upon millions off of these kids, and the kids weren't getting nothing. That's a lot of where He Got Game comes from. I also want to say that with Spike Lee's criticism, and I think partly because of He Got Game today, the NCAA created a policy permitting student athletes to make money off of their names, images, and likenesses. So when He Got Game existed, like, that wasn't a thing. Now it is. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit responsible for He Got Game. But that's where the the movie, the basketball politics of the movie, that's where it lives. And those are two really good movies, Blue Chips and Hoop Dreams, to go back and rewatch. All right, we'll start to get into He Got Game. This movie has one of the best elevator pitches of all time. <laughs> it's like, great. A convicted felon has one week to convince his basketball prodigy son to go to the governor's alma mater. If this felon can do this, the governor will release the man from prison early. Sold. I, dude, I, I'm so glad that we're starting with this because this was exactly the thing that I, I just remember in the middle of this scene with Denzel and Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty, yeah. Where 
Because it's 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 the very first scene of the movie, pretty much. Dude, it's like they have the long opening credits, which are yep, great. Which Everyone are, shooting oh, yeah, hoops, slow motion. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, the, I mean, those are great. We're, we're get, it's getting set up that like Aaron Copeland's going to be doing the music. And we're like, okay, and these crazy credits, they're so 90s. And it's really just telling us that like basketball is a way of life like in America. It's just a way of life. But then, boom, we immediately go to this pitch basically. yeah and well one thing i will say about the opening credits really qu- quick is exactly what you're saying is that how many different types of people play basketball too like you mm-hmm. you, you see what actually basketball means to a wide variety of people which really yeah. i think is a great way of opening up that this movie yes basketball is involved but this is really a, a human story yeah. and then and in how very few people actually quote unquote make it but then to get launched right into exactly that synopsis that you just laid out, I mean, like you immediately understand the stakes. You immediately all of a sudden begin to imagine, well, this probably is going to be hard. Like it, it, it sets you up for a great plot. And what I love is that from where this movie then goes, it does not follow that type of that formulaic plot structure it just gives you what yeah uh, that would be and you could make another movie with that plot and follow the you know joseph campbell's hero's journey and all this and that sure and sure. You'll, you'll still end up with a good movie more than likely but i love that that's where this starts but then where it goes you couldn't ask for anything better we're watching this dude you know ray allen this kid shooting hoops like in his neighborhood and then we're cross-cutting with this older guy, Denzel, who's in Attica, and he's got these, like, cornrows. Yeah. And he's shooting hoops, and we're starting right here. Spike Lee's hinting at his ending, an ending that is an ending that has been very polarizing in terms of, like, being connected through basketball. But then, yeah, immediately it's, you know, we're in Attica, and I love the way he shoots, like, Denzel walking, and the camera's just tracking right or left, and we're shooting through the bars. He's led to the warden's office, played by Ned Beatty, who's just, like, clearly showed up for, like, a day of work and yeah. just kills it. It's, just like, he's just it. so good. And the way this is set up, it's like, pleasantries, take a seat. I heard you were shooting outside, all this stuff. So the warden just sets up this thing where the governor of New York is this fanatical basketball fan. And because Jake Shuttlesworth, played by Denzel Washington, his son, Jesus Shuttlesworth, played by Ray Allen, because his son happens to be the number one basketball prospect in the country, if Jake can convince his son to go to the governor's alma mater, big state, then the governor will let Jake out early. The problem is that Jesus fucking hates Jake's guts. Yes. (laughs) Because about six years earlier, a drunken Jake accidentally killed Jesus's mother right in front of Jesus. And he has been in prison ever since. So there's that. On top of it, you got seven days, buddy. Jesus has seven days to declare his letter of intent, sign his letter of intent. So if you can do this in seven days, good. So it's like we have this plot motivator, but when we're watching this plot motivation, we have no idea that Jesus hates Jake. We no. don't know this stuff yet. We don't We don't even know why he's in prison. He's exactly. Really. I was just going to say that. And the way this scene is cut, we're getting like it's good for narrative exposition. We, the plot of the movie is literally being spelled out for us. Yes. But it also sets a great pace for the rest of the film. Like we're cross-cutting Jesus training when he's really young. We're cr- we're seeing Jake serve prison. We're seeing him get sick. We're, it's just it, there's all this different stuff going on. And we're like, all right, wait, holy shit. We're just we're cooking. We're cooking. It's like we're 11 minutes in and this movie has has been firmly set up and off we go. Great. And and it and it 
and it's the, the the cross cuts of when they're he's getting sick too are are crazy because we see some of these images and then we overhear dialogue that makes them add up. Yeah. Like yeah. we're seeing Denzel who's like in his jail cell just completely racked with stomach pain. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, what what the hell is this? But then you just like a couple seconds later hear in, in the dialogue, well, we can't trust your acting abilities. So we're going to need to make this really, really – we're going to – basically, we're going to have to poison you. We're poisoning your food so that you can yeah. sell it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, and, then, and then they cut to him like scarfing down in the cafeteria. Yeah. And you're it, like, oh, shit. <laughs> God! <sighs> you do your part. You deliver your son. God! Governor Purnell will do his part. God! Jake, what the hell's going on? Have to excuse the temporary discomfort, but we can't trust in your abilities as an actor. There's little margin for error. Let's go, Doc. Hurry up. Where are you taking him? What's wrong with this inmate, Doc? I don't know. Food poisoning? Are you sure? I don't know. You just rolled him in. So, so the movie is is having fun in its exposition. But it's not. A, but we don't start having fun until we lay it all out. We'll let we'll let you free if you can get this done in this amount of time. Then we start getting weird, and it's not crazy weird. But we're no longer being spoon fed. We were no, spoon fed just a little bit right here. Deliver that plot. All right, now we're going to go in some artistic directions. Uh, it's yeah, it's so good. And Barry Alexander Brown is Spike Lee's longtime editor. He edited Malcolm X. He was nominated for an Oscar for editing Black Klansman. He's yeah, his playfulness can really come out here. It's him who came up with the double hug thing, which we see in this movie a few times. Not necessarily a double hug, but like you see an actor do an action, then we cut and see it again. It's oh yeah, like yeah, the, the it's really genius. Thing. Yeah, yeah, the throat thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, it's so good. Ned Beatty, as the warden, uh, puts two parole officers onto Jake to escort him through his week-long furlough, as it were. One of them is played by Jim Brown, and uh, he's just great. You know, <laughs> so he's at really Mars good. Attacks, any given Sunday. He was also at Spike Lee's She Hate Me, but I love the way he talks to him. He's like, you know, <laughs> wash your ass. Like, yeah. He just has this <laughs> relationship with him. He's like, oh, man, he's so good. But still, like, if you're seeing the movie for the first time, you're like, Number one, like, how good really is this Jesus guy? Number two, what the hell did this Jake guy do to get in prison? Like in Attica. Attica's a big deal. These are the questions. So then, oh, man. Oh, my God. And then we immediately cut out of prison to just, you know, a few guys, like, walking on the street, walking toward a court. And you know a basketball movie is off to a good start when its first basketball scene is one of the best basketball games ever put on film. It's like, this dude's walking to a court and... Aaron Copeland's fanfare for the common man, hoedown, starts blaring. And Jesus and his teammates play this pickup game at night. And it is like, it. I mean, even talking about it, I'm getting chills. Like the way the motion, they clearly cranked up the shutter speed and the frame rate so that they're able to slow go to slow motion in camera. So you see them going to slow motion. And the way that Ray Allen moves and the way he's setting up alley-oops and like doing these trick jumpers it you he makes it look so easy and this is such a thrilling scene just like all the back and forth the trash talking the music you can tell they're real really playing which they were none of this was rehearsed spike lee to set cameras up he's like 
you, it's five on five, go play. Yeah. Like, there's none of this is rehearsed. And you can totally tell that. And then, I mean, the way Booger like addresses the camera at the end and we go, we see his newspaper clipping and then we boom, jump cut to that actual scene in Madison Square Garden. It's like, I just, I fucking love that. I love the way that one guy pretends to slice his own throat. He's like, you know, it's just, it's great. I, here we go. The rail splitters. I mean, it, it's just a feast for your eyes, really. Um, because of all that c- cutting too into like the Madison Square Garden stuff, yeah. like there's so much going on. I actually had to rewind it just to kind of like take it all in and just oh, see yeah. that one, you're getting to know the game, but you're getting that emotion from it. Like, and it, and it doesn't feel there was no choreography. Yeah. There was, there was just, it's so it feels very raw. It feels very real, but then you've got that music, man, oh this music God. throughout this movie. I, this would be my little tangent on the music. This movie, this music should not work. It really it, shouldn't. It re- and it, yeah, we'll talk. We'll, we'll do music now. Let's talk about it. So, yeah. Like because it's in the opening credits. It's like at first you 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 feel at least for me like I would feel like oh there's this like glory. There's this sort of like very very like religious type of like like the light has come down mm-hmm. and this is what victory and glory feel like and then you're met with these like horrific off-key shrieks ah john henry great that amazing track in the opening credits yeah yeah and you're like the the fuck fuck is this (laughs) and the movie throughout the music never um gets lower <laughs> like mm-hmm. like most of the time that we're used to like dialogue taking over the music and the music's in the background not in this fucking movie <laughs> not in spikes no spike likes his mu- music to be front and center front and but center th- the music in this is very different because then and now Spike's college friend Terrence Blanchard almost always does the music for his movies. Almost always does does the music for Twenty Fifth Hour, which we talked yeah, about a lot on that podcast. Thing, yep. How much we like it, Malcolm X. For for whatever reason, he didn't do that, and he decided to go with recordings from Aaron Copeland, who Spike Lee is a mass. His dad is a jazz musician. Was a jazz musician. His dad actually did the music for his first few movies, and then, but then going through and picking out very specific recorded classical songs from Aaron Copeland, it really shouldn't work. And boy, does it ever. And it just feels sacrilege to say, but it's like somehow Aaron Copeland mixed with Public Enemy, who did a bunch of original songs for the yeah. movie, somehow turns out to be maybe more memorable than a Terrence Blanchard score. And I love Terrence Blanchard, but it, this is probably my favorite music in a Spike Lee movie. I love this music. I love the way it's used. It's and the so hoedown good. during this pickup game is yeah. fucking nuts. It's crazy. It's like, what? Ugh. I have a question for you. Yeah. Back to basketball. Yeah. As someone who, so you've like never played basketball, never watched it, like didn't watch stuff. I'm asking. No, no, no. I'm just thinking You're about laughing. the times that I've tried to play basketball. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so. <laughs> no, but just, that's not my question. My point no. is, as someone who hasn't played, isn't familiar with it, can you tell when you're watching good basketball in movies? Or like, do you ever watch a basketball scene? And you're like, well, this is boring. 
versus, well, shit, this is awesome. Like, this is thrilling. Well, I've never found basketball to be a boring sport, even though I mm-hmm. didn't grow up with it. Like, growing up in Buffalo, um, you know, you, you, is really a hockey football thing. Sure. I always found it to be one of the better looking sports in terms of the way that like the human body flows yes like there's certain things that when you're watching certain players it's like they're just gliding through air or like time stops Mm -hmm. in a way in basketball that it it just doesn't do in any other like sport that i can think of so to me it becomes a little poetic in a lot of ways so if that translates that's good because everyone you know, Spike Lee is a huge basketball fan, and he know he knew he couldn't be going and sitting courtside at games and have messed the basketball up in this movie. Yeah. So what he did is he did not cast actors; he cast actual basketball players, yeah. like the guy playing Jesus Shuttlesworth, Ray Allen, wasn't actual basketball players. All the guys on that court were actual basketball players. And whether you don't know much about the sport, like you, or you know, I played when I was younger. I watched it when I was younger. I'm not. I don't watch it now, but th- this is without question the best basketball I've ever seen in a movie because you're, they're not cutting away from it. You're actually seeing them actually play on the court. I'm really glad they went with that choice. And I like that the basketball translates over because that that fluidity and that poetic motion you're talking about, you do not get like with an actor who just no. learned how to play basketball six nope. weeks ago. You don't like what that's why Ray Allen makes it look so smooth. And like when he during this game, like fakes it in slow motion and fakes that quick, like kind of a jumper and then tucks it back under the rim. You're like, oh, my God. Like so. And now I want to talk about Ray Allen a little bit because. Yeah, let's get into it. A lot of people were up for Jesus Shuttlesworth. He knew he wanted to cast a rookie. Spike Lee wanted to cast an NBA rookie. Kobe Bryant, he went to first. Yep. Bryant did not, was not having a good time on his actual game, so he needed the summer of 1997 when they shot, he got game. He needed to work on his game all summer. He had to like practice, practice, so he passes. Tracy McGrady, Spike Lee said, was too reserved. Allen Iverson wasn't impressive enough acting-wise. Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury. Stefan Marbury is the player directly referenced in the movie He Got Game. And Kevin Garnett, do you know who that is? No. Kevin Garnett is the guy in Uncut Gems. Oh, That shit. Adam Sandler is dealing with a lot. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, that's Kevin Garnett playing himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were both considered... Travis Best, Walter McCarty, and Rick Fox, they all auditioned and then were given smaller parts in the movie. But he lands on Ray Allen. Ray Allen played at UConn. He was drafted in the first round of the 1996 NBA draft. He was a rookie for the Milwaukee Bucks when Spike approached him during a Bucks Knicks game and offered him this part. He worked for an acting coach for two months before filming began. And he goes head to head with Denzel. And I think he's amazing in this movie. I always have. I've always said I think this is one of the best performances by a non-actor that I've ever seen. And the whole movie, a lot of it, the whole emotional weight of the movie rests on him. Or at least half of it. Let me yeah. say that. At least half the movie. And I think he really pulls it off. You can tell that this dude didn't go to Juilliard. But I I mean, obviously, he's going to make the basketball sell. Obviously. And he does. But I think he's really fucking good in this movie. And I've always thought that. I love him in it. It's a very, very clear, and I think it's the right call. I think it's probably the call that I would have made, too, is you want to get a basketball player. It's easier to teach a basketball player how to act than an actor how to play basketball. True. He shoulders the emotional weight 
well enough to where I love the movie. I I I do see a lot of scenes where the, the one specifically that comes to mind is because he to me he relies a lot on all the other great actors in the scenes. It seems to me like Spike really loaded him up with every other great actor that he could. So that way the, the weaknesses and that's not even, I'm not even knocking Ray Allen first time acting. Yeah. How good can you possibly be? I think this is a great example of someone who's never done it is put in a giant position to have to succeed. And I think he does. So let me just say that. So when you surround him with a bunch of other like top notch actors, it's going to work. The one scene that doesn't is when he's with his sister. Oh, and he grabs her. Yeah, because yeah, he's kind of going to yeah. lead that. And and and, mm-hmm. and and he's the only scene that I think he really has to lead acting wise and kind of falls short. But that's OK. It is absolutely beyond passable. And um, and it works. It works in a way where it probably wouldn't if it was almost anyone else. Yeah. And I, I definitely hear you on that scene. That is a tough one to communicate because you. Spike clearly felt it was important to show that flash of violence can take over these Shuttlesworth men and he can grab his sister and then be like, oh, fuck. He, uh, any other, most other people in that situation would crumble in front of someone like Denzel. And he really, he stands up and it's like, all right, let's go. Mm -hmm. I love after this pickup game, we get the, uh, the montage of the Lincoln rail splitters. I just, I love all of them so much. This is how we, you know, they go to like different film stock and then they're all like looking at the camera and addressing them. And I want to talk about these guys. John Wallace plays Lonnie. He was on in 1998. He played for the Toronto Raptors. Travis Best plays Sip Rogers. Sip, Sip. My name is Sip Rogers. I go to Abraham Lincoln High School. I played the two spot. We're the rail splitters. And nobody's fucking with us. <laughs> I love that. He played for the Indiana Pacers in 98. Walter McCarty as Mance. He played for the Celtics in 1998. And then coming in at a towering five foot seven inches <laughs> is Booger Sykes, played by Hill Harper, who absolutely did not play for the NBA, <laughs> but did graduate from Brown and Harvard and has appeared in dozens of films and TV shows. Apparently, he was in 197 episodes of CSI New York. Holy so, shit. So, not bad. Yeah, great residuals. And currently, Booger from He Got Game is running for U.S. Senate in Michigan. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> great Wikipedia page. Wish it well. Wish it well. But I love that scene. You know, the roll call and the bouncing slow motion. It's just, that's what we're talking about, about like this expert filmmaking. Yeah. Like, it's so good, like in the way it's done. So then Jake arrives at his new home, this Coney Island flop house he's told his rules i already talked about the jim brown denzel chemistry together he said sit your ass down i love that (laughs) and then you know you get those great like denzel isms where he's like i understand it i overstand it like that's just just made up right on the spot like that's just it's so denzel and i i love that i also love um you know you got to keep in mind like not only does jake have all this shit to do but like the dude's been locked up for six years. So like when they leave and he just does that opening and closing of his door. Yeah. And he's like laughing. I love that. Love shit. that. It just goes and he, I love that. Just a little bit of appreciation of freedom. I love that. Yes. I love it. And especially when he's given rules too. It's yeah. like, all right, you're wearing this ankle monitor. Yeah. We're giving you a little bit of money. Just get this, this, and this. Like it We're gi- going to be watching you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it gives you the sense that, oh man, how cool is it to be free? But. Mm, not not entirely yeah yeah but take what you can get you are going back yeah Yeah, exactly exactly. yeah 
And then we get the first needle drop of Public Enemy's He Got Game, which is an amazing title song. I love this song. It's really Jesus good. Jesus is running. Oh, it's so good. You know, they're mixing in, um, oh, whatever the fuck it's called. Something happening here. What the hell's the name of that song? I, it's, I don't know. <laughs> great, great. It's great. Doing great. I'll look it up. Um, love that. But no, very good title song. Jesus is like running to the bus stop and then we meet her. Yes. Lala. Lala. Rosario Dawson as Lala. This was her second ever movie after playing Ruby in Kids, which I had not seen in 25 years at least. I put that on just to prepare for this because I hadn't seen it. Oh my God. It was crazy. Dude, what the <laughs> fuck? I can't believe that movie was made. I was sitting there like, I watched this when I was 10. Yeah. I watched this when I was 10 years old. Holy shit. Anyway, kids. Wow. She's great as Lala in this movie. She's just, I love her attitude. I love that she does seem to genuinely care about Jesus. She really does make us believe that. But she's also just so full of shit. She's so full of her hustle. She's so so full of like, it's like, do you care about him? Or is this dude just a meal ticket for you? And I kind of, I like that we know about her right away. We know that she's trying to fleece him for this quote unquote friend of the family. Yeah. Yeah, Friend of the family. We just know that. And I I like that about her. And I listened to the commentary. You know, they did a Blu-ray release decades after the movie came out and Spike Lee and Ray Allen do a commentary and it's great. And they're like... This is unfortunately a, a very common character in these guys' lives. And I just, I thought she's, and also just keep in mind when you're watching the second movie performance, she's 17 years old in it. Ray Allen's only 21. She's 17. She's amazing. And, and, and it's, it's the brilliance of the performance too, because you, you, you ultimately end up knowing that that's what it is. But the entire time she is fooling you. She's fooling yep. me. Yep. Like, oh yeah. I, and, and, and it's sort of like maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's a little bit of this. And to kind of teeter-totter between that and every scene you're in is so cool for her. I love it. I love it. And it's she's fun to, you know, this is just her introduction, but it's so fun to watch as she goes. And we'll get to it eventually. But their, her final scene, just with when they're on that boardwalk, it's, that argument, love that scene. That's uh, I, This time watching it, that was my favorite scene of the whole movie. Wow. Okay. I can't yeah. wait to unpack that then. Yeah. Really good argument for people that age. Oh, that being yeah. That age. It's that's, not that's like they're mature adults, but we follow Jesus to school. He goes to Abraham Lincoln High School, which is indeed a real high school. Notable alumni, Marv Albert, Neil <laughs> Diamond. Oh, shit. Louis Gossett Jr. Harvey Keitel. What? Stefan Marbury. Arthur Miller. Wow. Big school. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And here we get to meet his high school coach. Oh, I love this guy. Arthur J. Nassarella. He's been for Spike. He's been in Clockers, Girl Six, Summer of Sam, Bamboozled, but also in The Sopranos, Billions, Bringing Out the Dead, Copland. And, you know, like as the movie's going on, we're meeting all these people. We're meeting his sister, meeting his dad, meeting his girlfriend, meeting his coach. And we're like, what well, one of these people are going to be on the level, right? Like the coach has definitely got his back. Nope. Uh. <laughs> we don't really realize that here, but nope. The coaches try to use him too, but. I think the most memorable thing about this scene, we had that playful editing again when, you know, the coach, have, have you decided, have you decided where are you going, where are you going? And we get the, this is, this will be the most important decision of your life montage where we're seeing all those real coaches and all those real people yeah. address the camera. And I, I love that style of editing where they clearly got like eight guys to say the exact same thing, like do your name title and then say, this will be the most important decision of your life. And you give all that footage to Barry Alexander Brown. 
and it, it's just chop, 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 and it works so well, and I love that. I, oh. I, I love that scene. It, and those are all real coaches. I don't know. I figured you assumed that. But oh, yeah. yeah. Hi, young man. I'm John Thompson from Georgetown University. Hello, I'm Dean Smith, the basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. I'm John Cheney from Temple University. I'm Roy Williams from the University of Kansas. I'm Coach Nolan Rich from the University of Arkansas. I'm Lute Olson, the head basketball coach at the University of Arizona. And this will be the most important decision in your life. This will be the most important decision in your life. Oh yeah, and and well, and that's what's great about the splicing of every time that Spike Lee does that throughout the movie is that it's blending the story with real life mm-hmm. and 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 real people and real teams and real like events that have happened and 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 um it just places everything in this element of surreal reality in a way because you feel the stakes on on Jesus because you get one person telling him that it's his coach but this whole entire time he's sort of like I can't make up my mind I've got I've got the world on me. Mm-hmm. And and by having every one of these examples just through the editing of these other coaches, you feel it even more. Yeah. And it supports his performance. Yeah, it abs- absolutely does. And it's not, you know, that's kind of a tease of where we're going when we lead up to this thrilling sports center package. Oh, I mean, just for yeah. the movie. And yeah. it's it's like, oh man. It's crazy. Jake is officially out and he's waiting for his daughter. This is Zelda Harris playing Mary. I really like her in it. I love their embrace and how he has like that little cute name for her that oh. only she knows, you know, hey boo boo. And she's like kind because of, she's probably used to being like, yo, Miss Shuttlesworth, the way he does, I think he does it on purpose. Like she's used to having her name be called in the street because her brother is the number one basketball prospect. But the way she hears that and then stops and just melts into his arms, it's like, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, you, you like when he says that line, like I just like the, the air was taken out of me. Yeah. Because he's so still like waiting for her to turn around. And that embrace that they have just gives you such a feeling his world is here now. Uh, I love that. I love that. And I I totally agree. And I think it's a really good way to set up that despite what he's done and he has one child who hates him, the younger child still has this great amount of compassion because she would have been too young. Yeah. She didn't witness it, you know, the the act itself. But then this is one of my favorite scenes. They're there, they're kind of chilling in the apartment, and then Jesus comes home. Yep. And here is a scene that's based really on command and stillness and having yes. Ray yeah. Allen. I love how it just kind of like double cuts when he walks right in and they lock eyes. You know, this dude does not want to see him. Like, why'd you let a stranger into our house? And that when Jake leaves and he just slowly goes around Jesus and Denzel and Ray Allen are like locking eyes. It's just that venom coming yeah. out of Ray Allen. Like, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to see you at all. It's, uh, God, I really, I've always been taken with that. And de- definitely hear you on some acting from Ray Allen. Not, But like when he has to be still like that, he can still do it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Like every scene that he needs to communicate some kind of emotion or some kind of idea of how this character is feeling, he does. And it, it might not have much range in there, but whatever that scene calls for, he hits that note. And that's why this movie works. He yeah. always hits exactly where he needs to hit. Yeah, just like when he goes to... Next to Uncle Bubba's house. Exactly. Uncle Bubba yeah. And Sally. It, yep. What a character. Yep. Yeah. No, but yeah, he has a, he's like confused, kind of exacerbated. Exactly. Annoyed with Uncle Bubba. And yeah, he's he's living in that, like stewing in that seat really well. Exactly. Yes. What a scene. Yes, yes, Uncle yes. Well, first of all, Michelle Shea plays Aunt Sally. She was in Crooklyn, Spike Lee's Crooklyn. And she's great. She 
Aunt Sally may be, may be the only person in the film that wants nothing from Jesus. Like mm-hmm, she, you know, mm-hmm. she's supportive and like, and she, it's very important to keep in mind that she is actually the blood relative to Jesus. Yes. It's her sister who was murdered. Uncle Bubba is not blood yes. related to Jesus at all. And he thinks he's entitled to just all this shit. I mean, he's played by Bill Nunn. He was in School Days. Of course, he played Radio Rahim and Do the Right Thing. He's in Mo Better Blues. Great actor. I, I mean, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who who would know that like Uncle Bubba is like this movie buff? I love that he's like, man, escape just like Shawshank, yeah. Eastwood, this, <laughs> escape from Alcatraz, and then out of nowhere he just goes, "Didn't you see Godfather 2? The man was called the Black Hand." It's like, what are you talking about? And just that, you know, he pulls out, you rub some of this right here, put some of this right here. Uh, but yeah, Uncle well, Bubba bringing um, some humor, some levity to the film, perhaps. It's one of the most incredible scenes because, like, it's it's a scene that <laughs> starts out one way and then goes so many different places based off of basically yeah. his performance. Because at first, <laughs> you get the feeling that, oh, here are the loving guardians. Yeah. And they are, but to a point. And because mm-hmm. then when he starts saying some pretty out-of-pocket stuff to his wife... Yeah, You know, then you're like, oh, okay, maybe you're not this fun loving guy that you kind of come off to be. And then when you get those, oh, I fucking love those out of nowhere close ups Mm -hmm. that just shoot in on his mouth and in his face. And then you get the real like, I'm looking for this. Don't you think you owe that to us? So now it's like, okay, you're not such a good guy or or at least. Mm -mm. We understand that Jesus really doesn't have anybody. Yeah. Like, really have his best interest at heart. Uh, Great call to point out those, like, hyper close-ups when Spike will do this. Someone's talking about something, and it'll just zoom right into, like, his mouth. Yeah. And you just see his mouth talking, and it's like, oh, this is all bullshit. Like, this dude just, this dude wants money, he wants a handout, he wants insurance that... When Jesus gets a payout, they're going to be taken care of. He wants all this stuff. And that's such a good way to like call out to the audience that this is all nonsense. Yeah. And, you know, we're adopting Jesus's point of view there. And he's like, I got to listen to this shit again. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what this guy's really after. Oh. But he went in there looking for support. Like my the guy who murdered my mother is out. I have no idea how. Can I get some family support? Yeah. And no, you need to get a job. We need a (laughs) church with interest if you want. Like, no, Uncle Bubba. uh. And uh, yeah, no matter what you like, he's still your daddy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's still your daddy. Uh, And then, I mean, they've already come, you know, father and son have already come face to face. But Jesus was like, hey, they call the courts he practices on the garden. Not to be confused, you know, with like Madison Square Garden for those courts right outside in Coney Island of the garden. So now we got Denzel, you know, he's got his Jordans on, he's got his hair done. He's got that, oh, he's got that old school method of shooting, the really, really high release where he holds the ball up with two hands. But he's good, like it's so old school because he's like banking it in. And I love that. And then, you know, Jesus and Boog come out and this is one of my favorite scenes because still, if you haven't seen the movie, we don't know, it hasn't been totally spelled out for us that Jake has murdered the mom, but now we've like met the aunt, we're like, okay, what's going on? The way that he just like, Denzel studies him and he's like, man, if, if your mother could see you and Uh. and just like, Jesus is like, what? And one of my favorite lines, man, that's the wrong way to start a conversation with me. I just, I love that so much because Jake got drunk and did something terrible and was abusive towards his son and then pushed his wife and killed her. 
but he can also miss his wife terribly. Both things can be true. He did a very terrible thing, but he can also miss her every day of his life. And both things are true here. And Jesus, uh, it, it's his decision to not want to put up with it or not like that. But we're seeing like this breakdown of like, I really need you to kind of listen to me. And they kind of get into it in this scene too, which is great. They get in their first little yeah. verbal squabble. Like, if you don't make mistakes, you'll be out here shooting, but you don't miss no shots ever. I love this scene. I love it too. And I also love it from, you know, uh, D- Denzel's like perspective too. Like, okay, this is the first time that I'm I'm going to have a one-on-one, you know, I don't have much time. I have to, I have a mission. No, nope, no. Nope. How am I going to do it? And he doesn't even go into it. Like it, he, mm-hmm. he, he actually takes a very, very thoughtful, he puts his relationship with his son first Mm -hmm. he knows that he needs to try to get something from him but i think it's a matter of well this isn't going to be the way to start it but i don't even if it was i don't know if this is how i'd want to do it i'm going to try just to connect with him again i love that there's a bit of like that thoughtfulness and tenderness that's coming from him that's just like you know let's talk this out as best we possibly can Oh, from Denzel. Yes, there yeah, is tenderness. From until, yeah. yep. until just like a dad, like the son is cursing too much. And he's like, they're probably in there cursing that motherfucker out. And you see Denzel is Jake, like get a little twitch. He's like, well, hold on, hold on. First of all, like why you got to use all this language? Like, yeah. I mean, it's so father and son. Like it's just perfect. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It's really good. And and to get to those, that line you said, like that's the wrong way to talk with me. That's a very, very honest and telling response like the way that they talk about these things it's so truthful and it cuts right to it too like you get everything Mm -hmm. you need to know oh and again the music shouldn't work yeah it shouldn't and it's just going the whole time and this is when it all you know leave to spike lee he just comes out and says it like has god forgiven you for killing my mother and you're like oh okay here okay here we are and and uh yin and yang of that i pray that he has i pray that he has and just and taking the frustration out like bouncing the ball really aggressively yeah it's a great setup of like oh shit i with the clock ticking does it doesn't mean it's gonna make jesus want to talk to you anymore yeah he still wants nothing to do with you and we're seeing that um that breakdown and understanding start uh so next we get this a great sports center package which Uh. is just an amazing sequence and you can really tell that spike cashed in a bunch of favors to get this montage. She brings so many people into the fold. It's a it's really a perfect encapsulation of the NBA circa 1998. Welcome everyone. I'm Robin Roberts. Welcome to Sports Center. Tonight our feature is about a biblical player, the chosen one, the second coming, the resurrection, the salvation. ESPN gets religion as we follow a day in the life of Abraham Lincoln Sr., Jesus Shuttlesworth, the number one basketball prospect in the country. Jesus Shuttlesworth. He's the next phenom. He's awesome, baby, with a count of the land. The guy's unbelievable. He's a PTV, a primetime player. He's the 3S man. Super scintillating sensational. He's a high riser. His game. This is not all of them, but cameos include Robin Roberts, Shaquille O'Neal, Dick Vitale, George Carl, Reggie Miller, Rick Pitino, Bill Walton, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and ending beautifully with Michael Jordan looking directly into the camera and giving what may be, it's like, it's an all-timer title line delivery. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. It's the only time it's said in the movie. Jesus. 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 Oh, Jesus. 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 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. He got game. Oh my God. It's and but like a really great scene too. Not only because it's so well like assembled and put together, but we see them like Jake and Jesus are watching it in the same way. Yes. They rub their nose the same way. And they're, yep. they're both like get emotional when the mom is brought up. Like they're mimicking how to shoot like jump shots. I just, I love this little package. It's like, it's only like three minutes long, but it's so cool. It's perfect. It's honestly, is, and it feels like it's Spike Lee having fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is so important. Like to feel the, like, that's what's so great about Spike Lee movies is that you feel him in it. And that's, 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 that's what you want as a filmmaker. Yeah. All right, now we're going to take a little a little pause talking about basketball, talking about fathers, sons, children, talking about murder. But when Jake moved into his flop house, he became neighbors with a prostitute mm-hmm. named Dakota and her vicious pimp Sweetness. Talk about Sweetness real quick. Thomas Jefferson Bird as Sweetness. He was in Clockers, Girl 6, Get on the Bus, Bamboozled, Red Hook Summer, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, Chirac. All Spike Lee movies. This is a Tony-nominated actor. So Sweetness is not like this only guy's mode. This is a really, really good actor. But Dakota is played by Mila Jokovic. And this brings us to an extremely prescient talking point of He Got Game, which is that is the Dakota plotline necessary? This is something that even critics in 1998 who really liked the movie we're calling out in their reviews, and this is still something to this day that people, when they see the movie for the first time or if they're watching it for the first time in years, a lot of people will mention that they don't think this plot line fits, just the whole plot line. So we're going to go down this road a little bit. Now, I'll talk about why it is included, Spike Lee's justification, in a moment. I'll talk about that. But I have never had a problem with it. And I didn't really even notice this criticism back in the day. It's something that knowing we were going to do this pod, I was researching it a lot. And I was like, oh, a lot of people talk about this. A lot of people have issues with this. So I'm going to do a for and against, and then I want your opinion. Here's my only against, because I'm for it because it just it's never bothered me. My only against, and the way that I understand what these people are talking about, is that I actually timed with my phone how long that storyline occurs and how long she's on screen. He Got Game is two hours and 16 minutes long. She is on screen for exactly 16 minutes. So it genuinely feels like a 16-minute long hangover than what 1998 audiences were used to, which was a two-hour film. I'm saying if you cut out that whole plot point, you don't really lose anything where nothing new is explained to us. He doesn't admit that he killed his wife, but that's given to us elsewhere. We don't really learn any new thing. This is mm-hmm. all simply character. So my main four for the sequence is that go look at Denzel Washington's career. The man is not emotionally vulnerable with women often. He's not. I didn't really realize this, especially not later in his career. He's really not. I'm not mean. I don't, I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an emotional openness, an emotional vulnerability, a humility to him that he has with Mila Jokovic here that I like. Does it slow the movie down? I don't know. Is it different from the rest of the movie? Yes, that is going to go into Spike Lee's justification for it. But that's my kind of for and against. It's just we got to talk about Dakota when we're talking about He Got Game, but you and I have never talked about this. I have zero against. There we I go. think this is one of my favorite parts of the goddamn fucking movie, and, and I didn't know this was a thing 
until you brought up in a phone call we had yesterday. And I and I it upset me throughout the whole entire rest of the day um, because I was just sort of like, no, this is an essential part of this movie, because without it, we're missing a very, very key part of Denzel's character. Yeah, I think a lot of it speaks to being a man in a certain kind of way. Are you talking like carnally, like sexually? Yeah. Because yeah, 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 that's yeah. going to go into Spike Lee's justification. That's fair. And, that's fair. And the, yeah, no, I think that's a huge part of it. And I think it's also a part of like the the bit of freedom that this one person has is that what is he actually doing with his time that his son doesn't need to be a part of? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about this idea of this is what's going on in his life on top of everything that I find very fascinating, very interesting. Um, I love the editing of these scenes because the color scheme is way different than anything else in the movie. Totally agree. And that was way intentional. Yeah, yep. very different. The the splicing is different. And then like there's crazy shit that happens where like there's one just one giant take. Yeah. Where it's just Mila talking and it's one of the in the camera stationary. But it's during a a whole entire sequence where there's a lot of splicing. He's sitting over here, but now he's standing over here and they're talking. She's in the mirror. But then there's just in the middle of that one long take of her just, you know, looking for her wig. It's got one of my favorite lines, too, where she's like, she goes, what are you like religious or something? And he goes, oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Like, like, but like more like but more spiritual, spiritual. <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that because he's relating and we don't get to mm-hmm. see him ever get to do that with anybody else. I think without this whole entire thing, the movie, I'm not going to say it doesn't work because I think there. Yes, there is an argument that. When you remove any type of necessary elements to a movie, the movie will still work. But I'm just somebody that just feels that like when you can add a whole entire dimension into someone's character, that that furthers the movie even more Then do that. That's essentially Spike Lee's argument that without a movie being four hours long. But if you well, there's three things to this. Number one, this movie was cut down in some fashion. It had to be because there's a very famous actress who shows up for like three seconds as Booger's teacher. That's Jennifer Esposito, like in the very, very end. So for her to just be there for like three seconds, she had to have, I don't know, there must have been a scene or something. So that's one. Number two, Spike Lee says to Charlie Rose that a movie is allowed to have tangents. He likes when movies have tangents that don't necessarily have to do with the plot. And we're kind of going over here and hanging out for a little bit. This is obviously something that Tarantino is no stranger to doing. Now, part three, and perhaps the most, you know, pragmatic part that Spike Lee just admits, and I'm not trying to be crude, but he goes, the dude's been locked up for six and a half years. When he gets out, he wants to be with a woman. Yeah. If that's not the first thing he's thinking of, it's on the top of his mind. And yeah, to your point, like, He's not hanging out with Jesus at 10 o'clock at night. He's not convincing him. He's really seeing Jesus for like fucking like 20 minutes a day if he's lucky. Yeah, like that's if he's it. lucky. So what's he doing with the rest of the time? He's, yeah, meeting the company of this woman. And in this first scene with her, we really get two long sequences with her. In this first scene, it is just talking. And it's like, yeah, he's she's just gotten beaten up by sweetness. I like that he makes a Gone with the Wind reference. Sweetness, also a movie fan. Vertigo references, Gone with the Wind. But what a guy, sweetness. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I will. I'll be the first to admit that it is a tangent. I'll be the first to admit that the movie does slow down here. But when I hear the director say that that was his intention and what we feel in these scenes was exactly his intention, I want to slow it down a little bit. I want it to be a little more vulnerable. I kind of do a shrug and I go, okay. It, it's, it's, it has never, never ruined the movie for me. If anything, I thought it was just a little uh, funny how people have always harped on it. Yeah, I've never had a problem with them. And I think if you watch the movie and that's the only thing you hold on to, I don't know, just open your mind a little bit, man. I, 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 it's just I, not that big is, of a deal. She has a line in there that I really love. Uh, it's at least I still got my teeth. Yeah, true. Shit, the circumstances are great. She just got beat up. But, you know, she's like, that's just a reality. It just clues you and you're like, damn, that's not something anyone says on a normal day. But given mm-hmm. the circumstances, it's like, well, at least I still got my teeth. Like, I don't know, man. I, I, I love everything about that whole entire thing. And I never knew that that was a, a point of contention for the movie. And people, I, you know, it makes me think, is it just because of the sexuality? Like, they don't want to deal with that type of, like, because yeah. it, is, it, is, it is very male, primal thing. Especially, like, that one scene when he's bouncing the ball because he doesn't want to hear him having sex. Like, you can feel all yeah. of that, like, male, like... The frustration, all that. Well, that's what that's what takes us into the murder, which is interesting. He's slamming the ball, and that slamming the ball takes us into the flashback yeah, the murder. Yeah. So it's this like aggression. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it works. And I love seeing Denzel be vulnerable, like with yeah. a woman. And I'm not talking sexually. I'm just talking like just opening himself up in that way. It's yeah, I, I like the scenes. And they are shot differently. You have that hot red neon coming in, which I love. Mm-hmm. This is episode 114. Of what he watching? He got game is my god. All the way back in episode, I know. <laughs> All the way back in episode five, we talked about our most memorable movie going experiences. Now, I was twelve years old the first time I saw He Got Game. So the weekend it came out, and my friend's dad took us to go see it one Saturday morning. Now, my friend and his family were very devout Latter Day Saints, Mormons, right? But they were also movie buffs, so like. We could be at his house and watch like The Rock, you know, like The Rock was okay to watch. His mom might like fast forward through that sex scene with Nicolas Cage and his fiance, but like cursing, <laughs> violence. Nutty. Yeah, nutty. <laughs> this isn't happening. So yeah, that would <laughs> I'd be like fast forward, you know. But we watched a lot of movies over there, but sexuality was like a huge no-no. So somehow my friend and his dad were sitting around breakfast, like having waffles. Mm. Now his dad was a huge basketball fan and actually even refed basketball like for you know kids and stuff like that (laughs) so we all think it's a good idea to go to he got game which we do which we do and you know for like an hour of the movie it's okay you know it's not outside of what is like acceptable there's been some fucks there's been some language but that's it it's just been rough language you know we're the age like my friend didn't want to sit next to his dad so we like sat in a different row but we ended up sitting in front of him so he was like Mm -hmm. a few rows behind us so he could see us right so everything's going fine <laughs> and then Big Time Willie shows up. Yeah. Now, Big Time Willie, and he got came, is uh, played by Roger Gunvir Smith. He was in School Days. He was Smiley and Do the Right Thing. He was Rudy and Malcolm X. Didn't get on the bus, Summer of Sam. He's got that fucking accent. And, you know, Big Time Willie is giving Jesus and Booger some life lessons. And here are the life lessons. Number one is avoid drugs. First thing that's going to take you out is these drugs we got for you. Uh-huh. We got the cocaine, heroin, crack cocaine. We got the uppers, the downers, the cheaper, crystal, meth, acid. We got the nicotine for you. 
You don't want none of that? You know, that's all fine to the Mormon dad. Yeah. Avoid that malt liquor, that liquid crack. I love that liquid crack. Yeah, a.k.a. liquid crack. It'll And then you do dice and you're shooting people. That's fine. You know, it's tough to see people murdered. That's fine. But then <laughs> you got to avoid that H-I-V. And this is the brief sequence that changed my life and made for one of the most awkward the the most awkward movie going experience i will ever have because as soon as spike lee starts cutting to various women having sex with men and saying things i was like i will just i will never forget that moment of i don't even think i had seen it that explicitly in a movie before uh. let alone in a theater let alone with my best friend's mormon dad sitting right behind us and i saw that and i was like uh, okay also keep in mind i've never seen a spike lee movie i'm 12 years old yeah i've not seen any of his previous films this is the first spike lee movie i saw which may be why it's still my favorite it was just and obviously if you see the movie this is not the only scene of sexuality in it from here on out the movie gets so horny and i was like oh my god to this day to this day what's so funny about it is that my dad the next weekend took my brother to go see it now my brother was three years older than me and i told my dad as they were leaving i just said uh, the only thing I can say is just remember that I've already seen it. So try not to be too mad at me when you like come home. So my dad walked into the house after he and my brother saw the movie and he's just laughing <laughs> hysterically. And he goes, I cannot believe he did not make you leave. I cannot believe your friend's dad didn't lean over and go, boys, uh, we're leaving. This is not the movie for us. But he did. Wow. That's just, you know. That whenever I hear or see Big Time Willie, that's what I also think about, you know? Yeah, how can you not? And you got to avoid the blood-sucking leeches. That's the final lesson. And I love that little sequence because one of the blood-sucking leeches is Jamie Hector, who played Marlo Stanfield in The Wire. <laughs> Hook a sister up. I need some money. I need some Cinemanac for my baby. I need some Pampers for my baby. I need some Dolce Cabana for me. I need some Channel. I need some Fendi. Come on. What's up? How you doing, man? Yeah, Big Time Willie is a sequence that'll be forever <laughs> imprinted in my head. Oh, my God. Good good sequence. Though. Oh, it's it. an amazing sequence. <laughs> I mean, and it really spells out like all the realistic problems. Drugs, booze, sex. Yeah. This is one of those things that only film can do. Like, you, you've got a point in your story where you want to do something. You want to express an idea. All right, we're going to have this one guy come in. And, we're, you know, we're going to be in a car, a cool car. He's going to be a certain kind of way. And then we're just going to do a bunch of editing shit, crazy Spike Lee type stuff, and just hit this point home. It's one of the most enjoyable parts of the movie for me. <laughs> it's so fun. And he, he, he fuses in like the different film stocks so it looks like grainy. Yeah. And, and he, you know me very well. There is something about any time where you just meet a guy or a character in a movie that is there for one specific reason, just in and out, and you just keep going. This, yep, literally and, keep going. And that's what this movie is full of. Like we get so many yeah. of these people that just come in and they're never once again heard or seen for the most part. And they're just here for one specific reason. And then the main character moves forward and we get this. So that's this. That's this guy. <laughs> I love it. Big time. Willie. yeah, it's such a, you know, I don't want to say, but what he has like, do you know how to spell 
And then Booger starts to spell it. And he's like, no, HIV. It's yeah. so funny. <laughs> but like everything he says is the truth. But I just love, you know, that actor. He's such a character. I love he's like. And you don't know where he's coming from either at first, too. You're like, who know, the hell exactly. is this guy? <laughs> who, who does this guy work for? Like, is he really yeah. just a one, one man band? Like just a hustler in Cody Island? I guess so. Maybe. You know? <laughs> big, big time. Put the word out. Oh, I love him. God. <laughs> uh, what a scene. What a scene. We're going to get to another uh, scene stealer shortly, but you know, the next main sequence is we already referenced it, but like when the coach offers him that money, you know, it's really just devastating. And I like that scene. Um, I, I wouldn't have noticed unless listening to the commentary. If you go watch the scene when Jesus's coach is trying to give him 10 grand, Ray Allen is very like fidgety and he keeps like scratching his neck and stuff. And in the commentary, he said, Spike, those lights you had on my back were so bright and hot you can see smoke coming off of my towel because it's burning the sweat on the towel. And then he had a blister on his back and Spike's like, I did that on purpose. I oh my fidgety. God. <laughs> so That's funny. amazing. So the the white light is like really, really hot. So just go watch that. It's, it's funny. That's all. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, it, it's basically like this section of the movie right here is really all sorts of examples where, um, where, where Jesus Shuttlesworth is getting tested. Left and right. Yeah. That's basically what it is. He gets uh, banged by Lala on the sure Wonder Wheel there. That was a lot of fun to watch with my Mormon friend's dad. That was great. <laughs> um, the next one. Th- this is like, I mean, this is Big Willie was the appetizer, but Dom Pagnotti yes. is, the, is the entree. I love this guy. Right here, Jesus, is a contract. This makes me your agent. This allows me to represent you. I will take you to the top. I can't do that right now. I still have to weigh my options. How much does your watch cost? $89.95. $89.95. Right here is a platinum and diamond Rolex. The best you can buy. Gold, forget about it. Silver, forget about it. You have platinum and diamonds. That's like having speed and power in the NBA. And Jesus, that watch is a gift from Don Pagnotti to you. Keep it. Oh, I'll bet there's strings attached too, huh? There's no strings. There's no rubber bands. There's nothing attached at all. That's a $36,000 watch. That's like having a Corvette on your wrist. You keep that. I can't take this. Why not? It's illegal. I can't take it. I don't see anyone here. Just me and you. So this guy is Al Patagonia. Like, uh, he's into jets, like private jets. I don't know if he sells them. I don't know. But he sat courtside a lot of Knicks games with Spike Lee. We know this guy. We've talked about him. He was in Girl 6. He's one of the main guys of Summer of Sam, one of John Leguizamo's like, main guys. He raps in Bamboozled, which is really something. He is Barry Pepper's boss in 25th yes, Hour, yes. of course. I just love this guy. And of course, he's uh, the guy with the Albanian ex-wife and inside man. 100% Albanian, <laughs> dude. 100% Albanian. I love this guy. This is his best scene. I mean, 25th hour is like, you come in here drinking your Red Bull shit. Like, that's <laughs> great, too. But this fucking Dom Pagnotti sales pitch. I mean, it's just a classic scene. It's it's like fuels the trailer. If you go watch the trailer, it's so good. I love that. You like music? It has a $30,000 stereo system. State of the art. There's a small trailer home in North Carolina. You got playing music for you right there. I mean... Dude, this is, this is by far... Of all of the little side scenes that happen inside characters, this is by far my favorite. But there's just something about <sighs> the the musicality of his language. Mm-hmm. Your ear just wants to hear this guy and the way that he's God. selling and the way that he's – it. honest to God, I don't even know if this is a category. 
It might be the best agent character ever. That's that's it. He is a sports agent. He is basically there to try to convince Jesus to come onto the NBA. Yes. Which is not something we've heard no, a lot yeah. about in the movie. It's mostly been like, what college are you going to go to? But no, it's like, here it is. Dude, I can give you millions of dollars right now. Sign this form. Make me your agent. I can do this. You want this watch? This is nothing to me. Here, it's just you and I in this room. But yeah, the musicality to his language, his movement, his constant like blinking and the you know, blinking. platinum and diamond. That's like having power and speed in the NBA and just the way. Yeah. Just throwing it out. Forget about it. I oh, those those are all his cars. That real actor. <laughs> no way. Really? Yeah, those are all his. <laughs> were, are, were his were, are, were his isms like the blinking? Was that is that is that him, too? Or is that was that a choice? What he's doing here and in 25th Hour are very similar. He just, yeah. but he, it's the same blinking energy in 25th Hour. Like you get like kind of back and forth. But so that just has to be him. It, yeah. Spike Lee is not the director where, where, where he's, he's like, like hey, you have to blink when you say this. No, no, no. he's he's not. Well, he just, he basically was like, cook, go cook. Because there's something so honest too about that. Like, you know, when people have like certain tics or something like that, like it almost becomes like an endearing part of their personality in like a way. Mm-hmm. And especially for a guy who's a sports agent who essentially, you know, their whole entire job is to bullshit. He has an answer for everything. Jesus goes, you know, I want to when I do get an agent, I want it to be a brother. And he's like, why? What what color is this? Mm-hmm. I'm white. You're black. This is green. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing that matters. And you're like, it's a really good answer. It's a really good answer. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it was. It, yeah. yeah. And it didn't even phase him. All right. Yeah. All right. That's true. What about this, though? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's all good and everything, but when I'm ready, I'm thinking about hiring a brother to represent me. Yeah, why is that? I just feel comfortable with the brother. All right, Jesus, let me ask you a question. What color is this? It's green. You're black, I'm white, this is green. When making a business decision, the only color that matters, Jesus, is green. Now, do you consider yourself a man or a boy? Of course I consider myself a man. Okay, because men make decisions with their mind. Boys make decisions with their heart, Jesus. Love it. Love it. it. Yeah, I love him so much. It's just, it's such a good scene. And again, another thing that's like, this kid is only supposed to be 17, 18 years old. He's raised his sister. Yeah. He has no parents. Like, how tempting it would be to just sign that. How tempting it would be to take that watch and sell that watch for $30,000. All, yeah, all that stuff, all that pressure weighing down. I love um. Do you consider yourself a boy or a man? He's like, of course, I consider myself a man. Yeah, and just think about saying that about yourself at eighteen. Like, oh yeah, I don't know if I, th- you know, it's like it's yeah, it's a totally different. I'm so glad you just brought that line up because that that line, like, yeah, I, that that moment really affected me too for that exact same way. Yeah. Like, he's so assured when he says that, and I was like, I wouldn't have said that when I was eighteen. Fuck no, I wouldn't have either. I might have thought my my attitude might have been like, yeah, of course I'm a man. Looking back now, 20 years later, fuck no, I wasn't. I didn't know a damn thing. And this dude's raising his sister. Like he's he doing, he's going to school. He's big life on his hands. So it would have been really tempting to sign that document. But you know, you go watch like the 30 for 30 broke, which is all about this, all about kids signing papers like that and getting drafted in the NBA and then their talent doesn't really pan out and then they're broke yeah. years later. It, it it can happen. Or you don't end up getting drafted. Yada, yada, yada. All that stuff. After this scene, we do move to the probably the most intense sequence in the movie and that's, you oh, know, yeah. it's just been hammered home that Jesus really has no one and we get a warm flashback of him reading letters from his mom. Again, she is for sure the only person objectively in the film that it unselfishly wants the best for him. Yeah, yeah. Aunt Sally's probably the closest that is probably the closest thing to his mother. 
we go back to this flashback on the night of the murder, and we're watching a younger Denzel train a now 12-year-old Jesus. And those are tough scenes to watch. Yeah. Those are the scenes that I'm talking about where, like, the most one of the most effective things about this scene to me, and he got game, is the other guy. Oh, the Just other guy. With his 40 watching, he's like, yeah. like this is too much. And, yeah. he, and even that guy saying it is, you know, don't tell me how to raise my son. Really tense. And then we have uh, Jade Yorker playing Jesus at age 12. And he's great. Like when he launches that ball over the fence, it's like, what are we doing? Where is this going? And the first time I saw the movie, I was like, oh, I get what this night is going to be. Like, I, I think I get, you yeah, know. Yeah, like this is the night. Yeah. It's a really, really good representation of toxic masculinity, too. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and that's the thing, too, is you do believe that Jake, he, he wants the best for his son. He, mm-hmm. he, so he is pushing him that hard for maybe selfish reasons, like I'm trying to give you what I could never do, what whatever that might be. The intentions might be well, but the execution in it is bad. Mm-hmm. And and then the alcoholism that 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 follows it, that adds to it, because clearly, like it's anytime this man drinks, things do not go well. This is good. I wanted to bring this up later. I think this is an important question that never got mentioned, like in reviews and stuff, but there is a very clear drinking problem at play because yes. he gets drunk later in the movie and he's aggressive and knocks the dude the fuck out. Which yeah. uh, Someone on a week-long furlough from Attica should not be punching dudes out in the middle of the street. Well, but yeah, and I actually, I don't even think he was drunk for that yet. But no, yeah, he wasn't, yeah. but but he fucked it up. Like he, he, like, yeah. he fucked up that whole entire situation. We are jumping one scene ahead, but he fucked that whole thing up with Lala. Did not come across. And then he goes and gets drunk. Then he goes and yeah. gets drunk. And then he does, and then, uh, yeah, so he, like- Clearly, alcohol and this man do not get along together. And so when you add that into this, you get what that scene is. And it's such an effective scene. It's honestly, it's some of Denzel's best work, I think. The way he fucking grabs that kid and slams him down on that chair next to the fridge is I'm getting chills now. It's so and the kid drops all of his food like it's that is it's so disturbing to me like it's so disturbing and you see he's like sit your ass down yeah i'm like oh man there there's Oof. a yeah you know and these are the scenes that are really uncomfortable to watch um but this is like the level of fearlessness that it takes for acting to be able to just be like all right we need to go here all right everything's gonna be safe everyone's mm-hmm, gonna be mm-hmm. fine but we're going to go here and I'm not afraid to do it. I'm not afraid to keep doing it. And it, it's it's why he's one of the greatest performers of like all time is like, like, he, yeah, Denzel is someone who is just a completely fearless, fearless actor. This is one of the best, I think, examples of his acting. Yeah. Another scene that has also been hit with a bit of criticism. And this is just so fun for me to say because I never get to say this stuff. Of course, Martha Shuttlesworth is played by Lonette McKee, who was Malcolm X's mom in Malcolm X. She was in Jungle Fever. She was in She Hate Me. If you watch the motion picture, he got game. And you think that Martha's death is quick or unrealistic. It's so stupid. I'm generally going to tell you that you are watching too many movies. And yes. I never get to say stuff like that. But violence, major violence, is very, very possible with very little effort. I so appreciate this realism because movies teach us you could like hit your head to a brick wall and bang your head here and bang your head there. He pushes her hard. He pushes her hard and she hits the corner 
of like a counter. Yeah. If you do that just right in your temple or in your head, it's lights out. Is she dead right there on the floor? I don't know, but she could have had something where like went to the hospital and died later. But I, it's so simple. It's so believable to me in such a scary way. Like, yes, this can happen. This does happen. In fact, it does. And to even discredit even more of that criticism where the, the moment happens is in the, when Denzel and the kid are like looking at, at her laying there and she's not moving. Mm-hmm. It, like it, it's and the, you see Denzel change. He's yes. like, call nine one one. Call nine one one. Yeah, the, be, the anchor's gone. The fear is now here. Exactly. Yeah. Like so, it's in like the selling of it after the fact. But yes, like all it takes is one wrong hit. You land somewhere. Like you break your neck. You hit your temple. Like that's it. Yeah. But then it's like that realization of like, did I just? Is this really happening? Did she like? Because mm-hmm. I would even imagine that situation. You would think like that as a human, like. She just hit her head. Like she can't possibly. Yeah, be get dead. up. Come on. Like yeah, yeah like that, so, that yeah. confusion, that that fear. But then also, people suck, man. What is with this criticism for this movie? These are bullshit. I know, and I only bring all these criticisms up. up. I know, I just like we did with Thelma and Louise about how the movie was like anti-men. I only bring this stuff up to paint context. And because if anyone listening to the film or if you see it and you have these criticisms, we're just here to shoot them all down. That's what we're yeah. for. <laughs> uh, no one's going to criticize. No one's going to criticize this next sequence. Uh, one of the most moving things in the movie is when they meet Jesus and Jake meet on the, oh, you know, the pier, and they yeah. talk about where Jesus's name came from. And it is not just a biblical reference. It's because of this guy, Earl the Pearl, Earl Monroe. And my all-time favorite ball player was Earl Monroe. Earl the Pearl. Yeah, he was nice. See, everybody remember him from the Knicks, you know, when he helped win that second championship and everything like that. But I'm talking about when he was with the Bullets down Winston-Salem Stadium before that. Gave him 42 points a game the whole season, 41.6. The whole season. But the Knicks, they put the shackles on him, man. You know, on his whole game, they locked him up like in a straitjacket or something. When he was in the streets of Philly, the playgrounds, oh, he was like, <laughs> You know what they call him? What? Jesus. That's what they call him, Jesus. Because he was the truth. And this is um this is about as perfect as Spike Lee filmmaking gets. Spike Lee is so good at occasionally interweaving documentary footage into his narrative films. He does it at the very end of movies like Malcolm X, the very end of Black Klansman to a very effective way. And he does that here, just watching this guy Earl Monroe like practice, set up, and Everything Denzel says in this scene, it's all Spike Lee. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's him like saying it and Denzel, you know, spitting and the whoo, you know, he did the and you see like Jesus be really interested in the story and they're finally connecting as like father and son. It's really the first time we see them be father and son. Yeah. The music is helping perfectly. We see the two parole officers lurking in the yeah. background, watching them, just you know, they're always around. It's so beautiful and perfect. And Jesus is like wait, so you name me Jesus after Earl Monroe and not Jesus from the Bible? He's like, that's right. And then we cut back into them and he goes, boom, I want you to go to big state, son. Yep. I want, it's like, here it is. Like, I'm just putting it all out there. Put, put it all there. And here's the reason why. Like, here it is. And I, it's perfect. It's really like, we're a little more than halfway through the movie. And now we have to start building at some point that it's going to be possible for Jesus to do what he does, which yeah. is go to big state. Is that because... 
Jake asked him to because he could get out early. Uh, that's that's unclear, which is good. But we you got to start introducing the possibility that Jesus like has some humanity for his father, and that's right here. Well, that's where it is. You got to introduce the conflict now. Yeah, like for Jesus, right? Like exactly. Now, up in, up until this point, he's like, no, I just got to do what's best for me. But now someone else I'm responsible for in a way. Yeah, I love that scene for all those exact reasons. It is Spike Lee having fun. That's him shining. But that's also, you know, that, like that father-son moment that we never, ever really get again either. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even in that end court scene, we don't get that. We're not back there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to kind of get that, uh, it, it's, and it's all just done in like that one, I mean, it's not one take, but just that one idea of just walking down a pier. It probably was one take, but he's just intercutting it with the documentary yeah. footage. But yeah, there, it's always like in a two shot yep. and walking and it's just, it's beautiful. Yep. And the way he tries to give him the stuffed animal and then Jesus passes oh, and then it he, off at yo, the end. It's like, oh, it's kind of heartbreaking. broke my heart right there. <laughs> I, I was know. like. Because he really seems like he's going to, he's like, just give this to Mary. And you really think he's going to. And the first person he sees to pass it off to, he's like, yeah, I'm not giving Mary shit from you, buddy. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They, it'll always remind you. It's like, yeah, they just had a good moment, but. It doesn't mean anything. The writing will always remind you, yeah, that there's still a lot of animosity there. And then, um, oh, man. First time I saw He Got Game with my Mormon friend and his Mormon father. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, this is, this, is the, this is the even worse part. You would, you would never, <laughs> never forget the Tech U sequence, which is truly forever burned into my memory. I'm referring, obviously, to john totoro's thrilling cameo (laughs) as coach billy sunday (laughs) john totoro obviously a huge staple of spike lee's films do the right thing mo better blues jungle fever clockers he played the he voiced the dog in summer of sam which is great that's great i know is that funny but no of course rick fox as chick showing jesus around the school he's giving him a lay of the land as it were (laughs) <laughs> and he leads Jesus, you know, they have lunch, they get all the different stuff. You come to the school, this is what you're going to get. They do a little performance in the gym. It's all good. Then he takes them to a dormitory to meet the assistant coaches, Buffy and Susie. Rick Fox here played for the Lakers in 1998. He was also already an actor. He was in things like Blue Chips and Oz. Tiffany Jones and Jill Kelly played Buffy and Susie, respectively. They both had sizable careers in film. <laughs> I was not familiar with their work when I saw this, but um, yeah, it was all just kind of as soon as the tech you seed happened, I was like, I'm getting kicked out of this theater. Anytime. <laughs> I'm just going to feel a fucking hand on my back. Pick me up. And yeah, it's um, what a memorable scene. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Yeah. Tech you. It's wild. You stuff, man. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. It's, yeah. He just walks in to meet the assistant coaches. I don't don't worry about the names. And you're like. Oh, wow. So this is, and I'm listening to the commentary and Ray Allen's like, I ain't saying this happened to me, but I'm telling you that this shit happens all the time. Yeah. Did then, did before, still does now. And it's just like crazy to yeah. think about that stuff. It, it's, it's, yeah, the, uh, I've always kind of like just wondered like the, the life of like a sports figure when you're that good. Like you're not just like trying to make it like it's like, oh, no, like you're 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 going you're going to go to the top no matter where you go or whatever decision. But we need to like get you to where we want to get you. We got to curry the favor in our yeah. direction. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Life is wild shit. <laughs> yeah, damn right. That's one of the reasons why Spike Lee wanted to make it and show all this stuff to be like, this stuff exists and these 18-year-old kids yeah. have to manage all this and like try to handle it. And they're getting 
watches and cars and $10,000 from their coach in cash given to them. It's like, huh, what? Another really funny thing about TechU, very funny. Uh, when I was looking at colleges where I wanted to go to school, I you know, took a few, not like meetings. You know, you go and see a few schools. I went to this school campus, Elon College in North Carolina. Was I was with my mom. Very beautiful, very like spacious and green. Looking around and I'm like, I fucking know this place. How do I know this place? And it was years, years later that I found out that was uh, the Tech U setting for Tech U. So oh that's how I do God, it. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Buffy and Susie were not on my tour, no. as you might imagine. But uh, no, that was a good college. Didn't end up going there. Well, obviously. A little too small for me. Well, why would that be obvious? Because Buffy and Susie weren't there. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now we go to the scene we kind of just talked about. I call it like the Jake spins out sequence, which is where, yeah, he meets up with Lala and he punches out DeAndre in the street there. That's actually like a really good one-two takedown by uh, that throat chop thing and then the assisted right hook. Great stuff. But uh, yeah, not something you should be doing when you have two parole officers on your back, but he runs to meet up with the parole officers. Yeah, to ask for money. It's a little money <laughs> to ask for money to get laid. And he's just very like upfront about that. He's like, I gotta, you know, gotta go do it. He, yeah. And then we get the big scene with Dakota or the other scene where they actually do copulate, as it were. And <laughs> what can I say? Copulate. Yeah, that's all right. Yep. Good sequence. I'm, I love it. It's kindness. It is. It really is. It's kind. It's sweet. Yeah, it's sensitive. I yeah, I like it too. I like when he pours out the uh, the liquor and he's like, "Here's some for the boys upstate." Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it, yeah, it's just kind of an old tradition. But yeah, that's you know a scene that happens and whatever. We don't need to go. Too well, I mean, much it's it's, it's further adults here. It's furthering out the whole entire Dakota thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that that that's a whole entire part of that whole entire section. So like that's 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 the ha <laughs> climax, if you will. Dunchin, baby, they got all night, no Russian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, we're really tying up loose ends here before we get to the to the big game because Uncle Bubba picks him up in that brand new car. You got to fucking take that car back, idiot, an idiot. Yeah, Jake goes to visit the grave of his wife, which is just really like heartbreaking and like it shouldn't probably shouldn't work that like an actor is just really emotionally like cradling and hugging this uh gravestone but it absolutely works and yeah. you just totally believe how much jake misses her and then i i kind of want to kick this to you that if this movie argument between jesus and lala is like one of your favorite scenes in the movie now i always love it they're under that like harsh green neon light the camera's just kind of like bouncing back and forth between them it's really believable. I mean, we talk about movie arguments a lot on what are you watching? And this is right up there. It's this really is good. really is because it's the um, it's the quality of what they're saying. Yeah, it, it's like each one of these characters. Now we know everything that we need to know for them. Like we know she's shady. He's got so much on his plate. I, I don't know where he's at in terms of are they going to stay together. I think he's kind of on the outs. I just think he has a lot of fucking stuff on his mind. That's what and it if, is. If she was supportive, I bet he would want to stay with her. If she was like, whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. Like, she's yeah. not talking about DeAndre. She's not talking about this. But clearly there's like, I mean, he did just like have a threesome with yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> two white girls, yeah. but she dies yep. right to her face. And she's like, nah, I, I know what, what the deal is. So yeah, like how, and they all, they are like 17, 18. So how quote unquote serious can this be? Exactly. Yeah. And they're both lying and they're both telling the truth at the same time, mm -hmm. which is just a mm -hmm. really cool dichotomy to watch in an argument scene. Cause when you know what the lies are, 
you understand because of their youth what it is. And I even love that one line, like where like we had sex and and it's like, and it was you that didn't want to use the condom. And then like, oh yeah. Yeah. And like you played yourself. No, thanks for mentioning. <laughs> I know. Thanks for mentioning that. Cause that was just a great final sex scene for the Mormon, for the Mormon friend's dad. The one clearly depicting unsafe sex between teenagers. Just a fucking great way just to send us out. But thankfully, the sex was done from here, and we could all enjoy basketball for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yep. And then, like the her level of taking responsibility for it, and her levels of not taking responsibility for things. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it 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 like that scene just is like it's it's handled in in all sorts of directions, but I all of them are truthful. Mm-hmm. Every even the lies are truthful because you you see like the truth pouring out of the lie. A- anytime that we can get characters to reveal their truth in in ways that we don't expect is just the most interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. So this scene is just all of that. And then and then it ends up in a breakup. And I love yeah. that she like, like the kiss. That final kiss. That, 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 that's it. That's it. Come yep. here. And she like grabs him on the lips. Yep. Yeah. That's, I love that. Oh, it's very God. just like realistic. It's like, it's something. Yeah. It's just, it has a, has a tinge of just realism to him. And he, she walks away and he's like, good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was God. my favorite acted scene from, from Ray Allen in the whole entire movie. I love that. They're really good in that together. Like really, really, really good. good. Very good. Love that scene. That's great. And then the movie comes down to, you know, some movies come down to one scene. I think this movie actually comes down to one uh, like shot, which we're going to get to. But it's one on one. It's father and son. This is uh, it's my favorite basketball scene ever put on cinema. I, there's just so much for me to say about this. Like, I, We'll talk about what we both how it hits us like emotionally. And then I'll talk about how they did it, which is really, really fascinating. And fans of the movie will know that story, but there's some people listening to this that may not know the story, but um, I don't, it's risky to like not be too grandiose and too hyperbolic on the podcast, but watching this yesterday, which I've just been watching it like on repeat since we decided to do it. I, I don't know. It, it might be the most moving thing I've ever seen in a film, this oh. final basketball game. It really might. It. I just, I weep. I weep every time I watch it. I, ju- I just, yeah, let's just, I mean, let's open it up. This is what the movie's come down to. Like, all, all bullshit aside, if I beat you, my son, then you have to sign this letter of intent. If you beat me, then I will go the fuck away. And you don't ever have to hear me again, because I know that's what you really want. One-on-one, father and son, let's go. Bet, here we go. Yep. I mean... You can't ask for anything more. It, almost in the similar way of the, where the very beginning of the movie sets you up for the most perfect plot. The end is the most perfect. We've come here. We know what the stakes are. And now we're actually playing from. So it feels like that. The coolest thing I think to me about this scene is that it happened to me both times. Well, especially the first time because I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But you do, though, I think. Like, you know that this prodigy is is more than likely going to beat his dad. Of course, yeah. It's just how we get there, yeah. What What's going to be communicated within the game, yeah. That's the thing. So, like, going into the game, you are as, like, as an audience, as emotionally prepared mm-hmm. as if, if it was going to be a complete head-to-head thing. Like, you're like, oh, my God. And this is got all of the things. It's got father, son. It's got old versus young. It's got teacher versus student. It's it's all of it 
wrapped up into this one thing. And the the coolest thing for me is <laughs> I'm not going to say what I want to say here. It's like wrestling. It's like uh, <laughs> it's, sure, yeah. There, there, there's an element of storytelling that just at a certain point becomes physical. Mm-hmm. All right, I have, I, I were it, first to eleven. Whoever's the first one to get here. Yep. And along the way, you see, like at first, Denzel's character actually has the lead. Yeah. And yeah. then it slowly starts to go the other way, and then the the. The shots that are taken, the words that are being said, the, uh, how out of breath he becomes. Uh, like, this mm-hmm. is all part of why this is such a beautiful final, not fight, but you know what I mean. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's final contest. Yeah. Final yeah. contest. Yeah. All of those moments are played out so well. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect, it's a perfect scene in that way. Yeah. It really is like a poem of like, yeah, setting up and the way it's passing off power from one to the other. Um, yeah, passing off power. So the way it's scripted is that Jesus beats Jake eleven to zero. That's how it's scripted. That they do not rehearse this. They have cameras set up and they're just going to film them actually playing. Clearly, they had to go back and do some pickup shots because we're seeing it from different angles. So it's not like they just shot this once with like ten cameras. They would have had to do pickups, but they did shoot the bulk game just once with like a few different cameras. That's how it's scripted. And that is what Ray Allen is thinking is going to happen. Yeah. He's going to get out there and just beat Denzel. Denzel is secretly practicing basketball for like three hours every night, just every night. And he's constantly telling Ray Allen, like, man, I can't go left. Like, I've never, I go, when I go to the rim, I attack it on the right. Every night he's going left for three hours. Every night he's Ugh. just going left and practicing on his own. So when they get out there and Ray Allen thinks he's going to crush Denzel Washington, if you go back and watch the scene, which I've done hundreds of times, immediately Denzel goes left and goes left and goes to the rim and banks it. And if you look at Ray Allen's face, he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> what, what was that? He, he's not supposed to score. And then they just start playing. So if you watch like Denzel's trash talking gets more, he didn't know he was going to make any of those shots. Like, yeah. ah, I feel refreshed. I think I'll go around again. Like, yeah. it's so great. And Ray Allen's pissed, like actually pissed. And they're going and they're, and, you know, and then he's like getting cocky. He does that one behind. He does that fade away to like it bounces off the glass, which is just like so old school. Like, I didn't teach you that one. I didn't teach you that. He's getting cocky. And then he just gassed himself out. And yeah. Ray Allen, while Denzel's getting cocky, Ray Allen's getting like mad. Like, yeah. all right, I'm not going to break character, but you want to play. We'll get out here and play. And then quickly, like, you know, he's like seven to a lucky five. At some point, he Denzel is ahead. And then when Ray Allen goes, that's your last basket. Like, he doesn't score again. Denzel doesn't score again. And now he's breaking out. I just love how it's a mix of like dunks, which Jake cannot defend. And then he's so tired. He's like, I'll give you that one. And he just drains that three right in front of him. He's like, don't give me too many. And then, oh, I forgot, and doing the roughhousing and fouling yep, and doing yep. all that stuff. And we see him, and I just, I love that line of like, what are you doing? You're giving up? And he's like, no, I'm teaching, brother. Like, I can take a loss. I can take a loss. And he knows he's going to lose. And that's all moving. And that's all good. And each shot is great. And it's even got some humor with Ray Allen's like, I'm going to send you down there with them <laughs> to the yeah, guys yeah. on the other <laughs> side of the court, which was an ad lib. And, and then it all, you know, he, Jesus does win handily. He wins. Uh, Denzel's just out of it, you know, put a fork in him, he's done. He goes over and gets a letter of intent. And then he just goes and hands it to Jesus and Aaron Copeland's music is playing and we're hearing it and Denzel just sticks out his hands. I've talked about this scene before on this pod, but yeah, when he, this is, this is what the movie's all about to me because he 
you know, puts out his hands and just says, like, you don't have to worry about me anymore. You all you have to do is take care of yourself and you take care of your sister. That's it. But you need to get that hatred out of your heart or else you'll end up another. And he uses the N word to refer to himself, which is my least favorite word. And he uses that word to refer to himself about himself. And Ray Allen's face doesn't change, but he's he's locking eyes with him. And the way Denzel says it, he says that word with just so much like animosity. Then he says, you're going to end up another blank, just like your father. It's your ball. And then he walks away and he like walks toward us. And you can just, you know, the parole officers are there. And when they turn him around, you know, put your hands behind your back and handcuff him. He's This is what the movie's all about to me. It's these 30 seconds. He turns around and locks eyes with Jesus on the court, just looks at him. And there's a blankness over both of them. And in that, to me, I'm absolutely projecting all of my shit onto it. But I'm like, they get each other. That's it right there where they understand each other. Maybe it's because he won the game. Maybe it's because his dad just used that terrible word to refer to himself. But they get it. And it's not like they're crying. It's not like they're looking at each other like nodding like, yeah, I got it. I love you, dad. It's not that. It's it's a blankness. And it's still... We're still wondering where this movie's going to go. You know, there's still like 10 minutes to go. Where are we going to go? But that the use of that word, the looking at each other, the resignation of I, I lost, I can take a loss and I lost the resignation of my son may never talk to me again. N- never. It's, it, it's so profoundly moving to me. So moving. I just, I adore the sequence. It, yeah, it genuinely might be the most moving thing I've ever seen. I don't know. It's tough. It it would be in the top five. That's not tough for me to say. Yeah. Like, it, absolutely. And I just, oh, man. I think it's some of the best acting Denzel's ever done, this sequence, and just doesn't get talked about a lot anymore. But yeah, I love it. I love it. Did you know any about, like, how it was shot? Like, any of that stuff? That, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only way you're going to get that, too. Yeah. Just film what actually happens, and then you can do things along the way. You're like, okay, we're already here. Let's let's do this part again. Let, let you know, you know, however, exactly. However you can pick it, it up like after the fact. Yeah. 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 But I mean, these are just two dudes playing basketball and you do feel the age. You Ray Allen b- barely breaks a sweat. Yeah. You get some baskets scored on him, but he barely breaks a sweat. Denzel can't even stand by the end of it. He's yeah. just so like gassed out. And it's like, yeah, this is this is what would happen. Oh, yep. I love it. I could I could talk about the scene just. Because like on a podcast, you don't get to hear the music like with with everything, the music just soaring up and like the way the sun doesn't look like it's fully set, at least on Denzel's coverage when he's getting like his hands cuffed. It just looks a little blue behind him. And then you hear the mom yell, Jesus, it's like kind of corny. It shouldn't work. And the crane fucking goes up for the camera. It shouldn't work, but it does. Ah, It's just so beautiful. I love it. It's it's great. Ah. It's great. It's, it's 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 perfect. And the movie ain't even done because we still got to know what's going on. What's he going to do? Jesus, via his coach, announces that he is indeed going to big state. He did not sign that letter of intent, but, you know, I love that we get all the reactions from different people like Lala's there. She, no reaction from her. Even big time Willie's there. He's like, it's bogus. He did not go for the big bucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, how do you feel about that decision? That, like he decided to go to big state. I, me personally, th- this is this is where like you get to have like your own like personal like projections. I think I would have liked to have seen Jesus just go to the NBA. Yeah, a lot of people thought that. Take the money. Well, yeah. I mean, because it doesn't it does it does a number of things. <laughs> it sets you up to take care of your sister. It immediately provides you an opportunity if you're as good as as you say you are. I mean, it's a gamble for sure. 
because you're you're just jumping right into the into the big leagues. But at the same time, I don't know. I guess I just sort of also have a feeling just me as Nick. I'm like, well, just why cut out the just cut out the middleman? Let's just let's just cut out the middleman. Take the money. Yeah, take the money. Let's just get to work and then you know figure it out. I guess. But uh, but that's just me. Well, I think his mother did put a lot of stock into, into education, education and into yeah. going to college. And I think if we didn't have that and if we didn't know that, I think him going pro would have been a much more logical decision. Yeah, I I think so, too. And I think he, you know, he's a character that did remain true to all the things that he said. He was someone that like very much he's like, this is how I feel. This is what we're going to do. We'll figure it out as we go. But I believe in education. I believe in this and that. So, yeah. But maybe instead of going to big state, he went to Tech U. <laughs> yeah, he's got his whole life ahead of him at Tech U there. Oh, does he ever? <laughs> yeah, big state. You leave it to Spike Lee. I love these. I love bittersweet endings. Like it's sweet. He went to big state. His reasons are his own. But that letter of intent did not get signed. Technically, yeah, technically. I lo- I really like this ending. I like that it's bittersweet and that we don't exactly know what's going to happen to Jake. I, you know, we get to see Dakota going on the bus. We get that very, we get to see a uh, sip now being courted by big time Willie yep, in the yep. car. See Jennifer Esposito showing up for like five seconds. I also do love that very quick newspaper scene when Booger's reading the newspaper and the teammate grabs it from him. And he's like about to graduate. You can't even read dumbass. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Irking me with that shit. I'm fine with that stuff. I'm fine with them going to big state. That's all fine. But then we go to the very final sequence when Jesus is practicing his amazing shot alone at Big State and Jake is practicing yet again in Attica. We're kind of going back to like the beginning of the movie. Yep. And there's two things going on here. One, the thing that I really did not want to happen was that when the first time I would see this, I really thought that prison guard was just going to shoot him. I, that's what I thought too. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Because Jake steps out of bounds, literally steps yep. out of bounds, what he's not allowed to in the yard. And he launches his cruddy prison yard basketball over the fence. And that basketball then appears to be flying in the arena at Big State and it lands at Jesus's feet. feet. Now, obviously, this couldn't happen, but it's a metaphor for yes. their emotional connect in this this is not something that the movie ever does i understand that i understand that that's how we could like lose people but i just always thought it was hysterical that people would hone in on this and be like oh well that's dumb and i go that that's that's what you have to say about he got game just the ball throwing thing is dumb i'm i'm glad jake lived that's what i'm happy about i don't think it's dumb i totally i think it's beautiful of it yeah it's totally beautiful they're connected they're yeah, it's, it's the poetic part of it. it, it yeah, oh, my God. The metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. God <laughs> damn, people. Yeah, one of the reasons why this movie is so memorable for me is that first time I saw it, of course, which was funny. But this was also like one of two movies that my brother and I watched together all the time. And this really had an impact on him. We talked just a lot about like how the character is related to us in our lives and passing. It was, yeah, it was meaningful. And I remember <laughs> watching this movie with my brother and a few of his friends and the ending happens and someone, uh, one of his friends just started talking a little shit about the scene and how it didn't make sense and how it was stupid. And my brother, certainly no stranger to cutting people down, just kind of stared ahead. It was like, it's a metaphor for their connection, you fucking idiot. <laughs> And then he goes, I can't believe I have friends as dumb as you. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Uh, 
rest in peace to my brother, I suppose. Yeah, I'll never, I'll just never forget it. Be sitting there laughing, but that's He Got Game. That's the movie, like in full. And it is, yeah, we just talked about my favorite, again, my favorite Spike Lee movie. I'm so glad you've been on this journey of checking it out. But we, I didn't mention the cinematographer's name, Malik Hassan Saeed. He shot Clockers and Girl Six. I love the way this movie looks in terms of the different film stocks. Of course, the editing is by Barry Alexander Brown. He has edited more than 12 of Spike Lee's movies, including masterful documentaries. And the music is by Aaron Copeland and Public Enemy, which <laughs> to, uh, you know, just a group and a musician that should not work uh, together in tandem. But oh, does it ever. Ugh. The way that it starts and the way that it leaves you and the journey you go on the whole entire way. And we, we always use that word. It's universal, but it's powerful. Like the whole entire ride you're on, the messages, the themes, the things that kind of connect you to who we are is extremely powerful. It's rare to come across an example of a movie that can do that and do it this well. Yeah. It's so obvious that Spike Lee is so into basketball and cares so passionately about the stuff. Even back to that Earl of Pearl the speech, he's like, you know, the media got a hold of it. You can't just be Jesus. It's got to be black Jesus. Like, that's, that's so Spike Lee. Like, this, <laughs> I just hear him in all of it. And I, ah, I love it. I'm so glad we talked about this. Of course, I want to talk about all the Oscars it was nominated for because it was nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Actor Denzel, Best Director, and Best Picture. Oh, wait. Of course, this movie received zero Oscar oh, nominations. I was say. <laughs> Fuck, it man. absolutely should have received some, but it didn't. It, I don't think it was ever going to. It was uh, Ray Allen was nominated for the MTV Movie Award oh, for Best Breakthrough Male Performance, losing, of course, to James Vanderbeek, Varsity Blues, naturally. <laughs> That was the only awards attention the film got. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even remember if we did this on the Malcolm X podcast. I can't even remember. I don't, but I want to do our top five Denzel Washington performances. That's it. We can go back and forth, whatever it is. We've already spoiled our number one, which we said on the Malcolm X pod yes. was Malcolm X. So we have a shared number one. So you can just give them all to me in a row. I just want to hear what they are. And if he got game comes in anywhere. Well, sure it does. Um, all right. I'll start. I'll just work our way up. To number one. All right. As we always do. Yes. Uh, so coming in at number five is uh, Fences. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yep. Which he also directed. Yeah. Thought a lot about that one. I think at the end of the day, I think I got to throw that one in there. Okay. Number four, The Hurricane. Yes. Yes. That's on my list. I'll let you know where. Yep. Number three is He Got Game. All right. I mean, number two, I, I, every time I talk about this movie, I always kind of roll my eyes because unfortunately, it, it, just, it is that good. It's training day. Okay. You know, it's, yeah. he's, he's, it's, it's, I get it. it's what it is. And then number one, Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Uh, all right, here we go. Some similarities. Number five, Flight. Yeah. That yeah. is the big one for me because I, I, I just think he does really well with that. I think it's really fucked up. He does very good. Number four, Philadelphia. Yeah. A supporting performance, yeah. you may say, but I think he's very good in that. Number three, The Hurricane. So glad that made your list. I didn't even know you liked that as much. Oh, I, I love that movie. Love that movie. Yeah. God, I love that movie. Number two, Jake Shuttlesworth. He got game. Number one, Malcolm X. So yeah, no training day for me in the top five because I never thought that was one of his top five performances, but that's okay. He's very, very good, and I'm not taking anything away. I just think the guy should have won a Best Acting Oscar years, well, years yeah. before that, which everyone it, agrees with me on, I know, but 100%. It, it is good. It's good. It, that'd probably be my six, honestly. Well, it's, it it's iconic. I mean, I think that's really it kind is, of- It is. It is. It's it, just it, iconic. Yeah. It, 
it, but I but I also think that you had to get to that body of work that he had done before and to get to that. Yeah, because he had to prove that he could be good before he went full on bad. Like yeah. Jake Shuttlesworth isn't a fully good guy, but he ain't as bad as Alonzo Harris. You know, yeah. Alonzo Harris is just bad to the bone. Yeah. Yep. Cool. I love it. All right. Well, then we'll move on to what are you watching here? All right. Um, I think I'm cheating, Uh-oh. but I'm doubling down. I'm doubling down on um, a movie that I just I, I literally watched it twice because I liked it that much. So apparently I can't, oh. I can't get enough of it. She's got to have it. <laughs> oh, shit. OK, I love it. <laughs> I fucking love this movie, man. I love this movie. So I love everything about it. I think this movie is just an absolute fucking genius piece of work. Um, it's exactly what I like out of like an artsy indie type of movie. And it's got so much to say. Let's yeah, I'm going to I mean, I love that. I love that you've connected with it so strongly. I'm wondering what like we can do to advance this Spike Lee Spike Lee dumb for you, because the only th- I don't need you like I just need you to focus on 25th 25th hour and before. So between she's got to have it and 25th hour and you have not all of them you like have to see, but. I would love to hear your thoughts on School Days. Mo Betta Blues is the one that you would fucking love. You would just love that movie. It's so good. Yeah, that's great. I mean, She's Gotta Have It is, again, like, made that for 175000 His grandmother helped him out with some of the budget. Like, you're just doing it with nothing. Like, you have no money and you're just doing it. I love that. John Cassavetes and Martin Scorsese yep. were his biggest influences when he made that. Go watch it. Is it still on Netflix? Do you do you know? It was for a while. I don't know if it was. That's where I saw it. I don't know if it's still on. Yeah, Netflix. it's only 84 minutes. Like it just cruises by. And of course, like we talk about it all the time, you get to see Spike Lee, like the things that would be in his million dollars budget yep. movies later on. You see them here. And uh, I love that stuff. I love that. Mine's a bit of a cheat as well. Actually, I already mentioned it a lot. But I had not seen it in years, and I put on Hoop Dreams. I have my Criterion DVD. It's also, this is one of those movies, unlike He Got Game, Hoop Dreams is available everywhere. It's on Tubi, Pluto, HBO, Prime. It's just everywhere. This is not a movie that's hard to see. It's so funny that when this movie came out, it was the three-hour documentary. Ooh, (laughs) like it's so long. It's actually like two hours and 52 minutes. When I put it on yesterday, I just like shrugged. I went, oh, that's not long. Like (laughs) we're used to that shit at this point. Roger Ebert's favorite movie, The 90s. It's an amazing documentary that was criminally ignored by the Academy. A lot of things you see in the movie set up He Got Game very well. This was obviously a documentary that Spike Lee was very fond of, as I mentioned few hours ago, he was in it. He has a really memorable scene. So Hoop Dreams, She's Gotta Have It, He Got Game. They're all in the family, baby. I'm so glad we did this. I've been wanting yeah. to do this for so long since we started the podcast. This is awesome. Oh, that was great. All right, folks. Let me, hey, if you haven't seen He Got Game in a while and you're watching it, let us know. If you've never seen it and we've motivated you to watch it, for the love of God, let us know. I would love to hear that on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. But as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. 
Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Well, we've both seen poor things. I've seen it twice. And we both saw Maestro in the theater. So next time, my oh my, do we have thoughts on both. Stay tuned. Oh, and Public Enemies' He Got Game is playing right now. This song samples For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield. Duh. Happy holidays, everyone. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game, we got game, they got game, he got game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but fuck the game if it ain't saying nothing. Damn, was it something I said? Pretend you don't see, so you turn your head. Race scared of his shadow, does it matter? Thought of reparations, got a plane with the population. Nothing to lose, everything's approved. People use, even murders excuse. White men in suits don't have to jump. Still a thousand one ways to lose with the shoes. God takes care of old folks and fools. While the devil takes care of making all the rules. Folks don't even own themselves, paying mental rent. The corporate presidents. Uh, one out of one million residents. Be a dissident who ain't kissing it. The politics are changing whips Got the sick missing chips and all the championships What's love got to do with what you got? Don't let a win get to your head or a loss to your heart Nonsense perseveres, prayers laced with fear Beware, two triple O is It might fear. feel good, it might sound a little something But damn the game if it don't mean nothing What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game I got game, she got game we got game, they got game, he got game It might feel good, it might sound a little something But fuck the game if it ain't saying nothing Yeah, that's right, everybody